Revelation 5. Hanabo, Kwa Abo, Anabo Kwa Abo, Oho, Si, Ikwesire, Enata, Ako Kwa, Na Isage, Akara, Ya, Nihina, Eburugi, Ebu, Iwere, Kwa, Obarage, Patara Chineke, Madose, Nebo, Nile, Obola, Nasusu, Nile, Obola, Nandi nele obola na mba nile obola pota iwe me haka haboro ala eze nandi achuraja nye chinekanye habo kwa eze nile wa weho no kwa olu ututu ndi muzi ndi no ocheze aho na ihe ano aho nke dindo na ndi okenye aho buruburu ono ogogo hariri oke ne oke uku nke anapoge egota ha anorom ka ha we oke olu nasa okwesere bonwa aturu aho nke Ebu Ebu Enata Ike Nile Na Ako Na Ama Ihe Na Ume Na Nsoporo No Tutu Na Ngozi Nwe No Ihe Nile Obola Ekereke Nkedi Nelowa Na Nelowa Na Oporo Owa Na Nelu Oke Osimiri Hani Ile Ihe de dile de hanime kahanasi obo onye aho nke nakwase nocheze aho yana nwatura aho kangozi nile na nsoporo nile notuto nile na ike nile dere mwe 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 nile nebi yebi ihe anonke dendo wese eme ndio kenye aho we danala bo isiala if you would turn your bibles to book of revelation you can turn to chapters 4 and 5 so we will uh, peer through yet another window in some ways, it will seem like kind of the first window, right? Because so far, we've, we've heard about this Jesus, and then we, we've heard about what he said to the churches that were described. We, we walked through those last week. But remember, again, each time he, he says, after this, I looked, or I turned and saw, those kinds of phrases, it's like he's seeing through a, through a door. The, the curtain is being pulled back. He's able to, to see into this other spot, this other part that's being revealed to him. So before we dive into these two chapters that I'm, I'm just going to say, uh, like, if, if this just, like, if this text 
isn't something that stirs in you a a desire to know God. I'm, I'm pleading with the Lord that, that just hearing his word today would do just that. It's, it's that kind of powerful imagery that reminds us of the majesty and glory of God. But before we even do that, I want to remind us of why we read Revelation, what Revelation is about. So let's, let's look to this definition that's kind of guiding our time. The book of Revelation is a series of apocalyptic visions intended to make known the clear promise of Christ's coming return and eternal reign as a means to offer hope, expect obedience, and inspire worship. Now with that in mind, let's read these couple chapters. Stick with me as we do this, okay? So Revelation chapter 4. John says, after this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. The first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Once I was in the spirit and behold, a, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there were, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, a second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around and within day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Then I I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a, a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. 
between the throne and the four living creatures. Among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, with seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on earth. And then I, I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. The elders fell down and worshiped. Now, you hear that truth. And there is something to behold. Let's, let's just try with the, the best that we can in our finite minds, with our finite sight, let, let's try to imagine the beauty of this scene. In fact, kids, I get y'all to draw a lot. I would love for you to draw what, what comes in your mind as you think about the throne of God, right? What does God's throne look like? In fact, in just a little bit, in fact, throughout this time, you'll hear me describe it in different ways. The Bible describes it. So however you would like, to, if you're able to kind of listen to some of the things we talk about and then draw those as well, but whatever it is, draw what you imagine when you think about not just any king's throne, but God's throne. King of kings and Lord of lords. This takes me back even to the Old Testament, right? This is certainly a New Testament picture, but in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel uh, chapter one, you have four creatures. You got lots of wings. You got fire, lightning, rainbow, crystal, a sound like roaring waters. In Ezekiel 28, you have the same jasper, fire, angels, jewels being described. In Exodus 28, it's just filled with jewels. This, this is a, not, not, a, not a first time idea. It's certainly delivered differently. But again, I, I find great encouragement in the fact that the Old Testament and New Testament match in their description, right? Just trying to, to describe them in this way. It's, it's, a, it's a reminder that, that Old Testament and New Testament are intended to go together. Think about this. This would have been visually stunning, will be visually stunning. Colors. And I love this, by the way. The colors that are described, they're having to, John is having to describe them. He can't just say it is green. I have a, a friend who um, 
used to work in like eye care kind of business, uh, optometry work. And, uh, you know, there is, there's the visible spectrum and the invisible spectrum. These are things I don't know a lot about, but those, those do exist. And they, they often ponder if what John's trying to describe are colors that are, that are in the invisible spectrum. Can you, can you imagine that? Like colors we've never, this is why he says the appearance of jasper, the appearance of carnelian, a, a rainbow that looks like an emerald. What? Like that's, that's not a thing. It, it, apparently it is a thing, right? Colors that, that we can't even imagine. Then there's flashes of lightning, torches of fire, sea of glass, like crystal. It's crystal clear, comes from this. Even this is in the Old Testament, right? Jasper, carnelian, rainbow, emerald, gold, fire, crystal clear. All of that is Old Testament language. This is not new. This is just a reiteration of the same. There's not just, not just colors they've never seen. There's, there's creatures that John's never seen. In these verses, he has to just say they look like this. These four living creatures, which would be astounding that they have all of these eyes, he doesn't seem to be scared by that. You know, when we, when we see a creature with multiple eyes, it's like they were in Monsters, Inc. or something, right? They, they're, they're weird. There's something about, no, no, he's not, he's not taken back. He's enamored with it. Finds himself enjoying this picture. His first one is like a lion. Like, second one, like an ox. There's this third one, just, it's a creature that the only thing you can describe is that the face is like a man. Can't even tell us what the body's like. This last one is like an eagle in flight. We, we will talk more about these creatures in just a minute, but I'm, I'm just trying to grasp what they might possibly look like. And in the center of it all is God. God is at the center of the whole picture. Right? It says that there's, that there's a creature on every side, putting him in the center. I, I just thought this would be a good point to pause. This is not only true for the throne room. God is at the center of all of life. Every subject you study in school, every task you have at work, Every extracurricular activity you participate in, God is at the center of it all. He rules and reigns over all. You are not the center of the universe. I am not the center of the universe. So it would have been visibly stunning, but it would have been audibly striking, right? That song we just sang, can you hear it? Can you hear the sound of elders singing, or these 24 elders, these creatures singing this angelic noise coming? Can you hear the sound of every tribe and nation, people and tongue? Can you, can you hear it that they're singing holy, holy, holy over and over and over? As David said, it's not something we will grow weary of. It's not like we'll be annoyed around, like, you know, Bridge number 12, we get annoyed by it. 
No, 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 it's this, we are enamored with, we are enthralled with, we wanna join with them in singing these praises. This isn't just, this isn't just shouts of praise, this is even, even like what's around, there's rumblings, peals of thunder. There's, and then there's this never cease to say, holy, holy, holy. Verse 11, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. By your will they existed and were created. Chapter 5, 9 and 10, worthy are you to take the scroll. They're singing a new song. You were slain by your blood, you ransomed. So every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. So with a loud voice, verse 12, Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Verse 13, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. What we do when we gather in this room and sing is but a foretaste. But I, I do wanna pause and say that if the intent is to be a foretaste. How uh, sad is it that some of us choose not to join in? Oh, church, hear me say this. Let us be a church that sings and shouts and claps and raises our hands, praising the one and only true God who sits on the throne, who deserves all glory and honor and power and praise, who deserves, who is worthy. So let us be ones who get over our discomfort in our lack of quality of singing voice. And may we be ones who enjoy the, the noise that comes from the people of God proclaiming the majesty of our king. Let's be that people. Because again, remember, there may be people in this room that hear us talking about, and we're gonna join in the song for all eternity, and they look around and say, maybe he's not, because he's not joining in now. Maybe she's not. He's not really enjoying this now. You might not have to enjoy all of uh, every every beat to every the rhythm of every song, but the, the words that we choose to sing in this room are songs that point us to the glory and majesty of God. So may it come out of our mouth in praise. I, I so enjoy singing with the family of God. It's so much better than in my car. <laughs> right, this was audibly striking and tangibly staggering. There's something else, there's something where it's, it's almost like he could grab it, Right? There's these, these descriptions that he gives of things like these 24 elders. I am not sure who they are. It's possible that it's representatives of the 12 tribes and of the 12 apostles. They could just be angelic attendants. I don't even think that it's really that important to the picture, except that there's 24 of them and that their job is to give glory and honor and praise to the one true king. That's what they're gonna do, like over and over, 
around the throne. There were these 24 thrones seated on the thrones with 24 others. They're clothed in white garments, golden crowns on their head. Verse 10, they fall down before him who is seated on the throne. They worship him. They even take their crowns off and give them to him. They're not even, they're not, we're not even worthy of wearing a crown. These 24 elders, chapter 5, verse 8, they fall down before the Lamb. Verse 11, these elders, with the voice of many angels, they sing songs of praise. So you have these 24 elders and you have these four creatures. I told you I'd come back to them. I'm not sure who they are either. We could certainly uh, try to to make, extrapolate some things about the description that is given to them, and I don't even think that's a problem. I just think that's what we're doing. We're guessing. Again, guessing happens. <laughs> it's okay. But we're not sure. The scripture doesn't make it very clear. In fact, it seems to represent like all of creation. But again, it could just be celestial beings. And by just be, don't, don't mishear me. That's not disappointing. If all they are is angelic beings that were designed for us to be amazed by so that we could be all the more amazed by their creator, fine. I'm not, I'm not bothered that the eagle in flight doesn't have a particular meaning, that the lion doesn't mean whatever. Okay. I am enthralled with this creative creator who has designed creatures that we've never seen. Like we've got a creative God, even if we just see the animals here. You ever seen a platypus? A rhinoceros? A giraffe? A poodle? You know what I'm saying? Like, creative God. Now we got creatures that we hadn't seen at all. They're, they're, they're like tangibly stunning for us. Something that, that, that we, we cannot even grasp. Like, literally, you see some of the animals in the world, and you're like, God, you're so great. You're so creative. All the more that this would take place. But there's one. There's one in particular in this picture that's different than just lots of eyes, a unique body type. There's the lamb. You see, John, John turns expecting this lion of the tribe of Judah. He expects to see the conquering lion, but finds a, a slain lamb. Hold on, hold on to that. I want you to, to hold on for the next several weeks to this idea that, that sometimes John turns expecting to see one thing that was described to him and sees something different. We're not gonna do all that right now, but can y'all like stick a pin in that for another couple weeks or can do that for me? This is, yeah, okay, I got one. Okay, we'll just lean on you for that, okay. Uh, but, but think about this, the people of Israel were waiting 
And quite honestly, sadly, many still are. They're waiting for this conquering king with a sword and a horse to come in. But instead, he came in as a humble servant riding on a donkey. This was the lamb. Let's think about this one who sits on the throne. The perfections of the king. That was a beautiful scene to imagine, and now we have a description of the king, the one who sits on the throne. He's holy. We, we know that because it's said repeatedly, like in the same sentence. When things are used repeatedly like this, it's to emphasize their importance, right? This is what is described. Holy, holy, holy. He's not, this, this word holy, I've, I've said this before, but I think it's wise for us to remember it. Holy means to be set apart in perfection. We have so often, I think even in my growing up, I've, I've heard that as just set apart. And while it means set apart, it means something more, right? You can be set apart in all kinds of ways. You can be set apart because you're smart or because you're not. You can be set apart because you're athletic or because you fall all the time. You can be set apart for your beauty or you're not, right? Like you can be set apart in all kinds of ways, but, but to be holy is to be set apart in perfection. Only one like that. So he's holy, he's almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Powerful, right? That's why he says in verse 11, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. Verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power. This is, this is a description of his mighty strength, power, majesty. And he is not short-lived for he is eternal. This is not a brief moment in time for he who was and is and is to come. I was hearing this reminder earlier this week. Uh, when it says, and ever, right? So at the end of verse 13, to him who sits on the throne and to the land be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. There is zero necessity for the end ever. Forever means forever. The end ever is to emphasize how long forever is. Stephen Sharnock uh, wrote this about the eternity of God. He said, after many ages, our joys will be as savory and satisfying as if they had been but that moment first tasted by our hungry appetites. When the glory of the Lord shall rise upon us, it shall be so far from ever setting that after millions of years are expired, as numerous as the sands on the seashore, the sun in the light of whose countenance you shall live shall be as bright as the first appearance. 
He will be so far from ceasing to flow that he will flow as strong, as full, and as that first communication of himself and the glory to the creature. God is always vigorous and flourishing, a pure act of life, sparkling new and fresh rays of life and light to the creature, flourishing with a perpetual spring. And he's the most capacious desire, forming your interest, pleasure, and satisfaction with an infinite variety without any change or succession. He will have variety to increase delights and eternity to perpetuate them. This will be the fruit of the enjoyment of an infinite and eternal God. In less Stephen Sharnock language, that means that a billion years from now, you will still be learning of the beauties of God. And you won't have even scratched the surface. That's the magnitude of an infinite God a God who, is, who was and is and is to come. We will not find ourselves bored with his beauty. It kind of lost its luster after, you know, round three trillion. We will once again, as though it's the first time, we will be amazed because he is eternal. He's also a creator. Let that not pass over you. you. Oftentimes when we talk about him as creator, we think of Genesis 1, but I want that to, to stay with us. He is creator. For you created all things by your will. They existed and were created. This is not a small feat. All things that exist, exist because he made them do so. All those weird poodles, giraffes, rhinoceroses, platypus, whatever, all those things, God created the mountains, the hills, the valleys, the trees, the grass, the ant, you he created it all. He is redeemer. Look at chapter five, verse nine and 10. If you haven't done this already, this is one worth bracketing, underlining something. Speaking of the lenses, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The lamb was slain so that you could be bought back. And naturally, then, if he is all these things, he is worthy. He is worthy of our life. And he is the only one worthy to do this work. David Platt says, so here's this scroll containing God's foreordained plans for the redemption and restoration of all creation, plans for the ultimate eradication of evil and the defeat of death in the world, plans for the final removal of sin and suffering and pain and persecution. 
This is the end to all world wars and physical diseases and natural disasters, the coming of God's kingdom to man the recreation of a new heaven and a new earth where God's people will enjoy him and reign with him forever and ever. It's all written on the scrolls. Who can open it? See, no one was worthy. John, John says he looks around, the, there's this angel who asks, who is worthy? And he looks around at all those majestic creatures, all of the elders around, all of the, those four living creatures, the eagle and the, the lion, and none of them can open it. So he weeps. He's brokenhearted. <clears throat> um, anybody ever been to Chuck E. Cheese? Chuck E. Cheese, man, those are some good days. <laughs> I was a big fan of Chuck E. Cheese in my day. Uh, before Chuck E. Cheese, it was called Showbiz Pizza in my town. And it was very similar, really great pizza and really awesome games, right? That's what it goes in your head. Like those might not be true, but that's what was in my head. And, and I remember the best part about Chuck E. Cheese pizza isn't the pizza, it's not those weird robot puppet things uh, that sing songs, and it's not even the games, it's the tickets that the games give you to get stuff, <laughs> right? Y'all remember the stuff? You walk by it on your way in, and like you're, you're thinking, like, what am I gonna get? Like, how many games of skee-ball? Am I going to play? And, and you're looking, so there's this glass case in front of you. Stick with me on this, okay? I promise it makes sense. It'll get, but there's this glass case, and it's got like pencils and erasers, like finger puppets. You know, the little finger, you know what I'm talking about? Finger puppets? And like, uh, the, like the things that stick your fingers together, the little finger cuffs. Y'all know that? Man. I don't know. Anyway, those things, like all that kind of stuff. And, and then, then there's the back wall. And if you can get anything on the back wall, you're something, right? And the, the further up the wall you get, the more expensive it gets. And so every time you, as like a eight, nine, 10 year old kid, I would walk in there with such confidence. I'm getting the remote control monster truck. It's gonna, today's the day. <laughs> like I could, you could just feel it. Like skee-ball, all 100s. That's what's gonna happen, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna make all of the bats. I'm gonna hit that thing on the head, whack-a-mole, like nobody's business. I'm getting tickets today. And so you, you come up to the counter. Y'all been wondering about this brown bag, but here it is. You come up to the counter and there's some snot-nosed teenage kid behind the counter and like they're hating being there, but they're there. And you, you've got these like stuffed in your pocket and you come and you're like, Whew. and that teenager's like, what you want, man? He like, count them. Count them up. And he's like, you got seven tickets, bro. I'm like, you, you should probably recount those. He's like, okay, I'll round to 10. You know, like, what are you, what are you needing? So you walk away and you've, you know, you really thought that your, your pile of tickets is gonna do it. 
You're going to have enough. But then, then someone else comes by. Says, what were you wanting, buddy? He said, I really wanted the remote control car, but I only had seven tickets. I couldn't do it. And the guy, snot-nosed kid is like, you didn't even have the right color, man. You got blue tickets. So this one walks up, says, how many do you need? And just over and over and over, oh, that's all you need? That's it? I got it. He says, I'm the only one that can get the remote control car. That's why it's still there, because I'm the only one that can get it. This is drastically more significant than a remote control car and a blue ticket or a red ticket. But what we come to, we come to that scroll and we don't even have the right color ticket because what we offer is filth. It's just a wadded up stack of wrong colored, not enough tickets. We fall short over and over and over again. But the lamb, the lamb that was slain, he says, you can have it. Remember earlier when John was told that the lion was coming. Right? There's, there's a lion coming. We no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered so that he can open the scroll. This is, this is from the Old Testament. Genesis 49, Isaiah 11, from the root of Jesse. But in order for Christ to be the conquering lion, he became the slaughtered lamb. You see, the lamb was the one that was sacrificed for the sin, for the falling short of the people, all people. You and I, we, we fall short every time of the expectation of perfection. We fall short on that every single time. But listen to how he's described says that there was a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Slain lambs don't stand unless they've conquered death. Think about the words that, that are used elsewhere to describe this lamb, stricken, smitten, afflicted, wounded, crushed, whipped, beaten, oppressed. All of these things should be on us. This is why he is worthy. This is why all the creatures say, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will, they existed and were created. This is why they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain. By your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. 
there is a beautiful scene here. And we certainly have the perfections of this king to be in awe of. But now, we can't just hear that. Walk away. Do nothing different. So there is the response of the people. In my study time, I, uh, I got to this part and was, was, again, unpacking some of this. And I got to a sermon that David Platt, I mentioned him earlier, had preached several years ago. And he, he worded this in, in a particular way. So uh, I am quoting him for the, the, the sub-points you'll see here. Uh, he just he said it in a particular way that I, I really found helpful. Um, he starts by saying that the glory of God compels us to receive salvation. I want you to listen carefully. There is a Jesus, this Jesus, this one who came to the earth from heaven, came to earth, lived a perfect life. So he was holy, never sinned, never did wrong. And where you and I deserve punishment, instead of him, instead of us taking that punishment, he took it for us. He came in and said he would take the he would, he would take words like beaten and smitten and, and stricken, afflicted, wounded, crushed. He would do all of that for you and for me. He would take our punishment that we deserved. And, and the word tells us, the Bible tells us that if you will trust in him, believe in him, you will be saved. You will be ransomed, bought into a relationship with him for all eternity to experience and enjoy his presence for everlasting life. If you reject him, you reject who this one true God, you reject Jesus in this way, and you will have everlasting torment in a place called hell. But, but there is this way, and it truly just takes you believing in him, believing that Christ died for you. This word describes, part of that is even repentance, turning away from our old beliefs, our old ways, turning away from our self or our inability, right? And trusting in the one who has it all the one who's conquered death on our behalf because he didn't just die for us. He, three days later, came back to life. And he lives now forevermore. So here's, here's what we do. When we hear a message like this, the, the, the text like this, the glory of God compels us to trust in Christ for salvation. So I'm pleading with you, right now, right where you sit. If you do not know this Jesus, you have never placed your life in his hands. Right now, right where you are, you can, you can 
say a prayer to God saying, I am wrong. I have done wrong against you. I know that. And I come, I've been coming with my own stuff and it's been insufficient. I need you to rescue me, to redeem me, to buy me back. God, would you do that? I, I, I'm turning away from my way and I'm trusting in you. You say that to the Lord right now, right where you sit. In just a minute, uh, if you have questions about that or maybe you wanna just tell one of us, in fact, we would love to hear that that's something you're doing, you've done, and we wanna help you with that because there's a journey that follows. So right here to my left in this room, there will be some who would love to talk to you, would love to hear your story, love to hear what God's doing in you. But trust in God, the glory of God compels us to receive salvation. And the glory of God empowers us to escape temptation. Like if you're saved, if you, if you just heard all that I said, and you say, I've already done that, Man, I just, I keep failing, keep falling on my face over and over. I want you to, to hear this. If you are saved and you are tempted to sin, I want you to consider the lamb that was slain. It's already taken the punishment for you. He's already conquered death and hell. He's already defeated the grave. He can certainly defeat your temptation. The glory of God empowers us to escape temptation and the glory of God enables us to endure tribulation. If you're hurting, grieving, depressed, anxious, worried, sad, heartbroken. Remember the one who was beaten, oppressed, mocked, and scorned for you. What you're enduring is brief. What we get for all eternity is just that, eternal. The glory of God motivates us to complete the mission, right? We've been saying that we wanna do whatever it takes. We wanna do whatever it takes to make Christ's name known. So are we, are we doing that? Are you hearing the glory of God and saying that this is every tribe and nation and tongue, that's what's gonna be gathered around the throne. Are we, are we doing whatever it takes? Where you pray passionately. I love what it, what it says here uh, in verse eight. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That's us, church. Do you, are those bowls filled with prayers from Colonial Heights? May we be ones who pray passionately and give sacrificially. Maybe we, we be ones who go confidently to our neighbors. Would we knock on our neighbor's door and speak to them the truth of Christ, that there is something greater to look forward to? 
Finally, I would say that the glory of God obligates us to offer adoration. This is the truth. He is the conquering king. He is the slain lamb. And he has given himself for you. So you, you might wonder, like, is he really worthy of our worship? Is he really worthy of our praise amidst, amidst such brokenness? I mean, when I look at the last couple of years, I've seen heartache and hardship and difficulty. Is, is, is he really, is he still in control? Is he still on the throne? Is that real? Yes, he is. He is on the throne. He is alive and well, and he is taking us through heartache and hardship to bring us to that very throne. He is worthy of all of our praise, all of our adoration. So would you stand with me now as we respond to him and sing of his praise?